Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse, an evangelist of incredible intellect, extraordinary language skills, and a true expositor of the scriptures. Today, Donald Barnhouse presents a study on Mark 9, verses 38 through 41. to turn to the ninth chapter of the gospel according to St. Mark. And we come today to the 38th to the 41st verses. But just before we read them, let's give the context. The Lord had taken three of the twelve up on the mountain of transfiguration, and there they had been granted to see Jesus as he will be in his return, and to hear the voice of God coming from heaven. When they came down to the foot of the hill, the three were evidently saying, oh boys, you ought to have been with us up there on the mountain. You should have seen what we saw. We, we, we. And immediately there came a conversation in the twelve. Well, now, wait a minute. Who's going to be the foremost in the kingdom? The Lord said to them as they left that place, what were you talking about as you went along the road? And they were silent. And the Lord then began to speak to them about how to be first by becoming last. And he called the child and set him in the midst. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And here was the great illustration of the fact that Service and love go together. If you want to be great, you're to be last and servant of all. Last is humility and servant of all is service. Now, if a man is last without doing anything, if a man merely says, well, I'm humble, I'm going to serve God, I'll live a life of prayer, but doesn't go out and do anything, that man has the humility without the service. While if a man goes out and serves and says, I can do this, look what I can organize, I, I, I. And then there's the service without the humility. Both must be together. And the Lord said, I'll illustrate this to you. And so he took a child. And there was one half of the illustration in the child, and there was the other half of the illustration in Christ. He that would be greatest among you, let him be least. And there was the child, who certainly had no pretense of being anything, and then here was the service, for Jesus Christ had enfolded him in his arms and was drawing him to himself. He who came, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as man, humbled himself to the death, even the death of the cross. And already his arms were around that child as they are ready to be around anyone who is in need. It doesn't make any difference what your need is what its shape is or what the depth of your sin, the Lord is so ready to forgive you. The Lord is so ready to cleanse you. The Lord is so ready to meet your need and build you, provide in your mind, in your heart, in your life to end your frustrations, to fix your eyes upon him and to cause you to grow in him. My exposition of this passage this morning, I bring to you 
out of my own heart because I am sure that as the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples this previous story, he that would be great among you, let him be your servant. And how he put his arms around that child, it struck John. And I think I know what went through the mind of John that caused him to speak. John thought, we're, we're to love everybody? Why, why the other day, I, I didn't act like this. Why, the other day, I, I said some very harsh things. There was a man, you remember, when we were going out, we met a man, and, and that man was saying, Jesus, Jesus has all power, and he said to a demon, come out of a man. And we went up to him and said, who are you? You don't belong to the twelve disciples. You shut up. You stop preaching in Jesus' name. And, and, and we forbade him. This is the way it is. Let me read it now. Verse 38 to 41. John said to him, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. The very embarrassing moment struck John. And I point out to you, first of all, that when you hear the word of God, you must apply it to yourself. For that's what happened in John. John heard Jesus speaking about greatness and littleness and service and the love of the child. And immediately the Holy Spirit applied it to him. Oh, it's possible for you to go through Bible Institute or theological seminary and sit in classes day after day and have reams of material stored away in your brain. And yet, to be hard and unrelenting and in a spirit that is not the spirit of Jesus Christ, simply because the truth must come down to the heart. And here it was that the truth came to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I first came back to the United States after living for seven years abroad, I was struck by the tremendous material progress in the first seven years after the World War. They had invented so many things, radio, windshield wipers, coffee percolators, so many things. I remember seeing the first coffee per percolator. I went into somebody's kitchen where I was being entertained, and there was the coffee ground sitting in the upper part, and the water was down here. And I said, but how's the water going to get up there? They turned on the heat, and the water soon went up and percolated and came down again. I, I don't quite understand it yet, but I know that it did happen. Well, you know, my mind runs to sermon illustrations. And I said, Lord, here's the coffee percolator. And it has two parts, and there's so many coffee grounds up here, and the water's here, but how is all that I know to get down into my heart? Uh, and the Lord just had to teach me the lesson that you've got to be put in the fire if this is going to happen. If you're going to have blessing from him, what you learn in your head has to be brought down in your heart. And that's what had happened in John. The Lord had showed them this picture, and immediately John had said, Why, I haven't been loving I haven't been loving. 
In the providence of God, I have been given to think of this a very great deal during the past months because of the great changes that have taken place in my own thinking and in the thinking of multitudes of men in the world today, there is a ferment in the Christian world over the basis of fellowship. And here is one of the great texts on the question of Christian fellowship. For John just says, and let me paraphrase it now, what I've just read. And John answered and saying, said, Master, we saw a lot of people in the Presbyterian church and they weren't spiritual enough for us. So we told them that they didn't have the gospel, that they were apostates, and we've come out and formed a new denomination. And that's been going on all over the church. You see, it's exactly the same thing. No, no, we can't have union meetings with them. They're modernists. And the Lord said, now, wait a minute. What is the basis of your saying this? They follow not with us. And I would suggest that the divisions in fundamental Protestantism today are sin. My radio studies in the book of Romans brought me up to Romans chapter 12 and verse 4 and 5, which meant that I had to spend many, many hours every day, week after week, writing a series of, of radio messages on Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, which give this remarkable truth, which many fundamentalists do not live up to. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, every one members one of another. Now this means that the true church of Jesus Christ is composed of people whom God has saved where they are, every place in the world. Here in America, the problem is acute because we're so rich in Protestants that we can afford to divide and still seem strong. But the minute you go out over the world and you get onto the mission field and you go, for example, to a part of Japan where there are 8 million people and 1,000 Christians divided in 6 or 8 denominations and you see that that division into six or eight denominations is a sin. And all the more terrible when these divisions have been caused by Americans who have gone out to the mission field and have said, yes, I've led you to Christ out of Shintoism or Buddhism. And another missionary says, I've led you to Christ out of Shintoism or Buddhism. But don't you two get together and don't take communion with each other because the mission societies that send us out are not taking communion with each other. And you see, that's sin. Now, the problem rises from the Bible teaching of two different things, fellowship and separation. And I have been caused to examine the entire New Testament teaching on these two doctrines. And as I have completed recently the study of the whole New Testament on this subject, I'm now in a position to say that there are scores of verses saying that believers should be one. That they should, wherever there are two believers, they should be one and there should be no divisions. That no person has a right to say, well, I won't associate with them because they've got this in or they do this, or any other arbitrary methods of separation. Yes, but someone says, what about the Bible doctrine on separation? And here, I found the astounding thing 
that if you study every verse in the New Testament about separation, you'll find indeed dozens of verses about separation from the world. But then when you talk about separation between Christians, you immediately are reduced to three or four texts, and they are not texts where anybody separated from anybody else on doctrinal grounds. You cannot find instances in the New Testament where one man separated from another on doctrinal grounds. On moral grounds, yes. Don't fellowship. Do not eat communion with the one who is the fornicator. Do not fellowship with this man who's a thief. Put this man away from the communion table. But you won't find any verses in the scripture that tell you not to fellowship with another Christian, even if his doctrinal disagreements with you are great. Now, if this is true, the attempt of one group to come out and found a pure and perfect church on earth is a sin. You cannot justify it from the Bible. This has come only because of the fact that in the United States there are hundreds of thousands of people and very frequently men have acted exactly like this. Master, we saw one casting out demons in thy name and he followeth not us. And we forbade him. Well, said Jesus, whoever told you that following you is a standard of fellowship. Now as I say, in my early ministry, I was guilty of the very thing that John was guilty of. I spoke very sharply about anybody who followed not us. I even made separation on whether or not a man believed that the third seal, the fourth trump, and the sixth vial came in that order or not. If he didn't know the same order that I did, if he believed the church were going to pass through the tribulation, why, brother, he couldn't come and preach in this pulpit. If he were an amillenarian, why, no, the idea, this is modernism. Well, it isn't. There are going to be lots of people in heaven. Now, of course, I think, as I said to a friend of mine who thinks the church is going to go through the tribulation, I said, if the rapture comes, I hope I'm near you. I'm going to tug on your shoulder and say, see, I told you so. But you see, we have no right to separate. We have no right to lack fellowship with them. That's sin. Yeah, but we've got to protect the faith. What's the Holy Spirit here for? You don't have to protect the faith. You have to live the Lord Jesus Christ. And in line with what we've just read in our scripture reading this morning, there are the gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. Love suffereth long and his kind is not easily provoked, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not its own, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails. Love is the fulfillment of all this. Now you see, here we find John telling the story of what he'd done. Who was this man who cast out a demon? I don't know. There's no further record of him. But Jesus, by now, you see, had been preaching for more than a year, for almost two years when this event took place. And in the early part of his teaching, here was somebody, maybe somebody he'd healed. And that man went out and said, why, Jesus is Jehovah. And the twelve went on their little way, and then when one of them came back, this man had gotten up and was proclaiming Jesus, and he cast out a demon, and they said, look, you don't belong to the union. 
That's roughly what John said that they said to him. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you had no right to rebuke him. Sure, he didn't belong to the union. He wasn't one of the twelve. They told him he had no right to preach. They told him that he had no right to cast out demons. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do such thing in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. What does this mean? Well, this means that the man whom some people might call a liberal may not be in God's sight anything other than a child of God that needs a little more light. The older I grow, the more I think that development in the Christian life has a great kinship to the study of mathematics. Now, let me make the analogy and you'll see. When we're first saved and we start in to grow, we don't know much about Christianity. When we're children, we don't know much about mathematics. Then we learn a little bit more. We learn to add and subtract in small numbers. And then we learn the multiplication table and we grow and perhaps come to the doctrine of assurance. We're saved forever. And the boy who knows fractions might look down on the boy who's still doing two times two is four. Oh, kid stuff. We know decimals, fractions. And the person who knows the assurance of the believer is inclined to look down on the person that still thinks you can lose your salvation. And then a boy goes to high school and he begins to study algebra. Now anybody that has studied the preliminary part of arithmetic, you've reached that point and you never have to study it again. Never as long as I lived. In fact, never since I was a child did I ever have to think about studying the multiplication table. I knew the multiplication table cold when I was a child, and I've never had to consider it since. It's automatic. And as we grow, it is automatic in us. Well, there are certain things in the Christian life that are automatic with us. I am saved. I never have to stop to consider it. I have eternal life. Not six months life, not ten year life. I have eternal life. But now in algebra, as in the Christian life, we get a little more knowledge. Some people go on from algebra and take geometry and trigonometry. And some people over here learn the doctrine of the second coming and begin to know the difference between law and grace and have advanced Bible knowledge. And some other people here take the introduction to calculus and other people begin to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no doubt in the fact that John, if I may put this experience in mathematical terms, John and the twelve disciples said, we know geometry. And we met a fellow who was still saying 12 times 8 or 96, and we said, don't talk about the multiplication table because you don't know geometry. And the Lord said, wait a minute. He belongs to me. He just hasn't reached your class yet. Now, this is extremely important for us as Christians that we learn that everybody who's saved, God brings them in on the level of kindergarten. This is where the Christian life begins. And as we grow, one of the most important things, and I should have learned this much earlier in my life, one of the most important things is that anyone whom God has saved is saved. And immediately my heart should rush out to him in great rejoicing. And there should be the wonderful glow of the fact why here is someone whom God has saved. Instead of saying, what church do you go to? Are you an Arminian or are you a Calvinist? There's a man in Philadelphia who's quite an outstanding businessman, well-known, 
a high official in a great company in the city. And a leading Christian often preaches as a layman. And one day I said to him, how are you saved? Ha! I'll never forget his gesture. Ha! He said, I went one night into such and such a denomination church, and he said, the minister preached an evangelistic sermon, and I was saved. He said, you know, that's ten years ago, and he hasn't grown a bit. Well, all he knows is the ABC of sin and salvation. He doesn't know a thing about the Lord's coming. He doesn't know a thing about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He says, he's a baby. He says, I can't go back into the church. He says, it makes me so annoyed because I know so much more than he does. Yes, but the Lord used that baby to lead this one to Christ who went faster than he did, admittedly. But you see, we must be in love one toward another. This is the thing that God is talking about. Let me illustrate this with a tremendous passage over in 1 John. For in 1 John I found two verses that to me are, are simply atomic in their power in showing us how any division of the church is sin. How, how utterly sin it is for anybody to call another man a, an unbeliever when maybe he's a believer. Don't you dare try to pull up the tares. The Lord makes the division as to who is wheat and who is tares. He told the disciples to have nothing to do whatsoever with these divisions. Now in 1 John chapter 1, he's talking about fellowship. And he says in verse 5, this is the message we've heard in him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship horizontally, one with another, as well as fellowship vertically with the Lord. This is proved back in verse 3, that you also may have fellowship with us horizontally, and truly our fellowship is with the Father vertically. Now says God... If you say that you have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, you do not the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. What's that mean? Well, that means that the Christian who has advanced to the geometry stage recognizes clearly the Christian who has only advanced to the 2 plus 2 or 4, 3 times 3 or 9, 4 times 4 or 16 stage in the Christian life. We have fellowship. We teach them. We cause them to grow. We're delighted that they're saved. We do not make fellowship on the basis of the amount of knowledge that God has revealed to us. And I, I put this forth now as definite Christian truth, that if you're born again, you must ask God to let you have fellowship with any other member of the human race who's born again. If he's truly trusting in Christ, yes, you're going to say, but, but suppose someone should come to me Suppose someone should come to me and say, well, I, I'm in such and such a religion and it's false. Shouldn't I just damn him right away? Well, I remember somebody that came in here once and talked to me and I said, where do you go to church? And they said, well, I'm a reader in the Christian science church. I had the grace of God to, to swallow and say nothing and say, are you trusting in Christ? And you know, about four months later, I baptized that person and they left uh, that place and joined this church. Now, if I just said, you're damned, that's always true. Get out of here, you're damned. But 
They had come, and I believe the Holy Spirit had brought them, and it wasn't long before the Lord brought them out of that. Yes, there must be the recognition of fellowship. And we go back to our passage in Mark 9 and conclude with it this way. John, you see, was convicted because he realized that his action in saying to that fellow, you have no right to preach, you don't belong to the twelve disciples. You haven't paid your union dues, you're not in. You're just not in. But Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name. Or as the Greek really has it, a mighty work. There is no one who does a mighty work in my name that will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. Over oh, someone says, that's going to make the, 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 the stretch pretty wide. Well, I didn't draw the circle, he did. It's merely my business to live in it and not to draw any narrower circles and say, yeah, he drew a pretty wide circle, but to be on the safe side, we better draw a little one and get in the middle where we're overcomers and we're in the middle with him. Don't you draw any circles that are narrower than the one Jesus drew. In fact, I doubt if you can do so if you've got your compass point in the center on him. Because if you have your compass point in the center on him, then the Holy Spirit, who he, whom he has given to you, must do as he did and open his arms to the little child and say, God has given us the spirit of love, and we are to love. For he that is not against us is on our part. And he concludes this. He said, if you go out and say, I'm a believer in Christ, and if anybody just hands you a cup of cold water, in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. It doesn't say that if you go out and give a cup of cold water, that's in another verse, in another gospel. But it says if anyone learns that you're a Christian, and because of that does something for you, I suppose that means that if a Salvation Army girl is standing on a corner and if a gambler comes along and throws a nickel in it and thinks, well, she belongs to this Salvation Army, I'll give them a little something to help them along. They're doing a good work. Christ says, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Holmes says, Dr. Barnhouse, isn't this heresy? Aren't you making salvation on the basis of works? No, I'm not. Salvation is on justification by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ apart from the works of the law. We've got our foundation ready. But what I'm saying is, you don't know whether the eternal life seed has been planted in a man or not. You don't know. Because you, big you, are up in high school in geometry and he is in pre-kindergarten maybe. Don't you judge that he's not saved because you're in geometry and he hasn't even learned to draw a zero or a one. In other words, it is our business to love, it is our business to live, it is our business to hold out our arms for Christ, it is our business to have fellowship with anyone says, who says, I believe in Jesus also, I belong to him, praise God to hold my hand, let's go on together. Yes, but says someone, he may have somebody on his other hand that's not, I wouldn't put my hand out because that's the second degree separation, which is such a big sin. Because see, there are a lot of people not too far from Philadelphia that say, well, I won't hold hands with you because you're holding hands over there with somebody who's holding hands down there that I think is very terrible. The Lord says, you just see to it that 
my heart is controlling your arms and that you're willing to touch those that belong to Jesus Christ. And I'll take care of the rest of the chain down the line. You're not the judge. I am. And from that time on, John was no longer saying, they don't follow after us. John was saying, as he says in his epistle, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that we've passed from death to life, because we love the brethren. Let us bow in prayer. O Lord our God, speak to our hearts, we pray thee, and give us true love and fellowship one with the other. And now go with us as we go. If there be those here who have not been born again, we pray thee to accompany them with restlessness, that they may know no peace until they rest in Christ. But upon all of thy redeemed own, may thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide, and a new sense of our oneness in Christ with all who have been redeemed by him. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power, now until the Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.